From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. The House Intelligence Committee this week heard testimony from intelligence officers warning that climate change is a U.S. national security threat. It is because it will cause extreme weather and floods. It will exacerbate conflicts over water and food. And it will open the Arctic to disputes between the world's great powers. Joining us today is former Navy Secretary Ray Mavis, who served under President Barack Obama and has warned that President Trump's inaction on climate change will put new stresses on U.S. forces. And later, I'll talk with CQ reporter Ben Hulak, who's co-author of a CQ magazine cover story this week on the issue. Welcome, Secretary Mavis. Appreciate it, Sean. Thank you. So, Secretary, you are concerned about the way the Trump administration is handling climate change. Why so? Well, climate change is a real national security issue in any number of ways. And the notion that, number one, there is no climate change, number two, that the science isn't settled, number three, that we shouldn't do anything about it, is just, in a word, and I'm going to get technical here, nuts. Um, the, the ways it is a national security issue is everything from as storms get more intense and more frequent, as floods get bigger and more frequent, as droughts get more extreme and more frequent. The first responders for the world are the United States military, and specifically the Navy and the Marine Corps. Um, we, when I was secretary, we had a request for disaster relief on an average of once every two weeks, and it's getting worse. We already have internally displaced people because of climate change in the U.S. There's an island off the coast of Maryland. There's an island off the coast of Louisiana, which has gone underwater. And our government has had to pay to move people off that. The Navy tends to have bases on the water. Uh, as sea level rise occurs, if we don't do something to arrest it, the biggest naval base in the world, Norfolk, will go underwater within the lives of people today. Well, one thing I noticed at the House Intelligence Committee hearing was that there seems to be there's a definite split between the Democrats and the Republicans, with the Democrats mainly thinking about how we can combat climate change and and mitigate it or stop it, and the Republicans, uh, some certainly questioning the science around it, but others more thinking about how we can we can win as a country in the post climate change world, how we can be prepared to continue our position as a dominant power in that future. So is the military right now, despite Donald Trump's skepticism about uh, regulation of greenhouse gases, is it preparing for a changed climate? Well, it's, it has to. It, uh, it's already here. Uh, off at Air Force Base, went underwater in the middle of the country. So that's a good thing in, in the sense that the Trump administration, if they're not going to stop climate change or try to, they're at least going to be prepared for it? No, uh, because I don't think anybody wins if the climate change is as dramatic and drastic as it appears it's going to be. And the timelines keep moving up and the impact keeps getting greater uh, every time you look at it again, every time there's a new report issued, it's getting closer. 
and it's getting more extreme. There won't be any winners. There not, may not be anybody here to win. And so this notion that somehow we would rule a post-climate change world just ignores what that would mean. That's sort of like um, we're going to rule a post-apocalyptic world or something like that. The, the, to get to that point is so awful, is so terrifying, is so bad that even thinking like that just makes no sense. At that hearing, you had Brad Winstrup, who's a Republican congressman from Ohio, making the case that climate change can be good and can make you know, certain land more agriculturally productive, that it might open the Arctic to shipping, that makes shipping more efficient. But, you know, we also look at situation for, for some, farming becomes more difficult in this situation. For others, it may become more viable uh, in other parts of the world. I think you mentioned something about new markets of fishing lanes and things like that that, that may open up as a result. And, and these are things to keep an eye on, too. The point I'm trying to make is, for some, there may be some good things, and others, not good things, right? You're saying no way. No way. He ought to tell the farmers in Ohio that can't plant soybeans because they've had the wettest weather in ever. Um, they've had the hottest weather in a century. Um, so there if you're looking for good news out of climate change, I think you're going to come up absolutely empty. What about Congress? They have an opportunity here to be a counterweight to the Trump administration. Are they doing that? Are you seeing any hope from Congress, the people's representatives, to do something about this problem? I, I think you're, you're, you're beginning to see a lot of action there. Um, the Green New Deal that was brought out several months ago, which is an aspirational thing. It's not a piece of legislation, but it's aspirational, uh, and was mocked for, um, and it had a bad rollout. But having the conversation about this, setting some goals that aren't 2050 or 2075 or further out in the future, but saying we're going to do this before 2030, and we're going to we're going to move our economy from this old oil-based, fossil fuel-based economy into a new economy, which will create more jobs, which will make our air healthier, which will begin to arrest climate change and perhaps turn the clock back on it. Uh, so, yes, I think portions of Congress are, but you've still got way too many people denying it or trying to muddy the waters and saying the science just isn't there. We don't know what's happening. Right. Yes, we do. Well, certainly some in Congress are keeping the issue on the front burner or talking about it, and that helps. But as far as Congress as an institution passing a law that might combat climate change, what do you think? Well, I don't think you'll ever have that as long as um, you have the Republican Party in charge of one of the houses and as long as you have a Republican in the White House. Um, are these Republicans that are consistently opposed to anything that would take on climate change. Let's turn back to the national security piece. Uh, Denny Heck, who's a Democrat from Washington, uh, at the hearing. I'm not going to rank order it. Uh, 
in terms of all the other challenges, but there's no question that climate change is an existential issue for the global community. He mentioned that he would be introducing legislation that would set up a specific office within the director of national intelligence's office, the head of U.S. intelligence, um, to think about climate change to and its national security risk. Does that sound like a good idea? I think anything like that is a good idea. The Pentagon's already been doing that. Um, you've, you had this thing called the Quadrennial Defense Review uh, after a presidential election every year. It's got a new name now, but it's the same thing. It's looking forward five years, 10 years, 15 years, what threats is the United States going to face and how should the military react to it. In the 2009 um, version and in the 2013 climate change was called out as a national defense issue. So it could drag us into more conflicts, but what about logistics for the military? Is the Navy having to move bases, perhaps, that are in low-lying areas or thinking about that? We have to think about it. Um, now, nothing's been done about it. You're already seeing Norfolk having sunny day floods, you know, these king tides that right. come the, in. The, the Navy base in uh, Norfolk, in, Virginia. In, in Norfolk, yeah. And as I said, that's the biggest Navy base in the world. It's going to cost billions and billions and billions of dollars to save that base if we don't arrest sea level rise. And you're either going to have to raise it or you're going to have to protect it or you're going to have to move it. And none of those is a good, um, is a good option. And Congress hadn't given us a penny or hadn't given the Navy a penny to do anything about it. How are other countries handling this? That was a big subject at the hearing about how China, for example, and Russia are moving to dominate the Arctic and prepare for climate change. Are they ahead of us? Well, <clears throat> number one, the Arctic is going to be the point of friction, uh, one point of friction, as the ice melts and as shipping gets more constant. Russia's already said the waters to their north are internal waterways. They're not. Uh, and the U.S. Navy is the only people that can keep that those sea lanes open. As you're able to re reach some of those minerals on the seafloor, um, you're, you're going to have more potential for conflict, more irritation. But I think the way that particularly China is racing ahead of us is they're, they're switching their economy. Uh, they're moving to electric vehicles. They're moving very aggressively in terms of solar and wind. At the hearing, one of the Republican lawmakers asked uh, one of the witnesses, an intelligence officer, where he would put climate change on the national security risks posed to the United States. And there wasn't a good answer to that. Where would you put it? I'd put it very high. I mean, we've got some, some near-term, more traditional risk. I mean, the rise of China, the rise of Russia, Iran, North Korea, some, some things like that that are that clearly you have to pay a lot of attention to. But they could all be subsumed. They could all be overwhelmed if climate change is not addressed because climate change won't just affect the military. It will affect every human being in this country and around the world. Thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can find this podcast at rollcall.com or your favorite podcast app. I'm back now with Ben Hulak, who recently wrote a CQ magazine cover story on climate change and the threat to national security. Hey, Ben. 
Hey, Sean. So I read your piece, and you focused on the Arctic. Right. And the, the uh, rivalry for control of the Arctic between the great powers, meaning United States, Russia, and China. And I was struck that they're working very hard to prepare for an ice-free Arctic, almost like they think it's definitely going to happen, that they're not going to stop climate change, and they're going to have to deal with that post-climate change world. I don't know if it's necessarily that they're they're working toward it. These are different realms. The Arctic Council is this main international body um, that oversees Arctic issues, and largely it's been peaceful, and the Arctic has been demilitarized. Someone referred it or described it to me as as space. We don't want to militarize the Arctic just as we've restrained from militarizing space. But your story had examples of how they're basically preparing to for a world where there's no sea ice in the Arctic, where it's navigable. Oh, a- absolutely. And and this is, Russia is probably driving most of the conversation here, China to a large extent as well. I think it's all about trade, maybe not all, but that's, that's a, the crux of the matter here. Because hypothetically, if you can shave off time shipping your goods between uh, Alaska and Russia through the Bering Strait, north of the Russian waters in the Arctic, and then loop down south, past uh, Norway and Scandinavia, you can save massive on fuel costs rather than shipping through the Suez Canal. So it is a play for long-term global trade. So it's more about economics than it is about military dominance. Well, for Russia, it's also about military dominance, and and really for all the great powers. Um, There are differing opinions on this. Some folks told me, well, there isn't necessarily this need for the U.S. to build up its icebreakers because there isn't a whole lot going on at this point. Now, Russia has, uh, I want to say, 50-plus. I could be wrong on that. These Certainly are the dozens. ships that, that cut through the Arctic. Correct. We've only got, what, one of them? We have about one and a half. Um, they date back to the 70s, and one has been cannibalized for parts. This is Senator Lisa Murkowski's key issue. Lisa Murkowski, the senior senator from Alaska, a Republican. She would give her kidney, I think, for an icebreaker, uh, an American heavy-duty icebreaker. But why do that if by 2040 there's no ice up there? There's going to be ice. The key time period would be the summer. If there's, if, it, if we have ice-free summers, that's a whole different ballgame. And it's more than just trade, right? I mean, we're talking about also uh, minerals and oil and, and things that are below that ice. Absolutely. And a lot of this is still speculative. Even as President Trump continues to deny climate change, he recently had his Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, say that it could benefit the United States. Right, Ben? Right. So when he was in Finland recently, he really rankled a lot of the international community, the Arctic community, which is sort of a specialty unto itself. And he said... Steady reductions in sea ice are opening new passageways and new opportunities for trade. This could potentially slash the time it takes to travel between Asia and the West by as much as 20 days. Arctic sea lanes could come before the, could come the 21st century Suez and Panama canals. And he also talked about militarization of the Arctic and what the U.S. might tactically be doing. Well, what is that risk? I mean, we were, this discussion is about national security. Secretary Mabus and others have warned that you know, as these opportunities arrive, the great powers, there's greater potential for conflict, potentially war over them, right? I think to a certain extent, um, a lot of this is sort of still in wargaming stages. Uh, David Titley, for example, he, he's a former Navy official. He gave me um, a really interesting argument that 
if Russia or some foreign power, perhaps China, were to seize the Bering Strait, we would our, our, the U.S. domestic economy would essentially be shut down within days because if they could control the trade and the flow of these um, c container vessels, which is, as he put them, they're the warehouses of the world, we would be absolutely cornered economically. We would Our ports would be closed or severely hampered, and we'd be really hamstrung um, financially. So uh, to a certain extent, they're still sort of jockeying for position. Russia has built out radar stations and um, military bases that haven't been occupied since the Cold War in its north. And China? What China has done is really similar to what they've done in Africa, which is sort of soft power, mm -hmm. throwing money into um, Greenland, into Scandinavian nations to really build up their name and build some sort of social and economic clout. And so the United States is preparing for this world, but this is happening at the same time that the Trump administration is quashing efforts to regulate greenhouse gases, is considering this panel, uh, which would cast skepticism on the scientific consensus around climate change. It strikes me as a contradiction, no? Well, I think it's certainly, yes, of course. I think it's certainly a cognitive dissidence. I mean, this is no different from a lot of their climate policies. The scientists in the administration have been working hard, showing why climate is happening, and the White House moves in the opposite direction. So this is emblematic of that. That does it for us today. Thanks a lot, Ben. Thank you. Please get in touch if you have any questions or comments about our podcast. We'd love to hear from you at cqpodcast at cqrollcall.com. And thank you all for joining us. A special thanks to the producer of this show, Tula Vlahu. You can subscribe to this and other CQ Roll Call podcasts on Apple, NPR One, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on this and other stories, please visit rollcall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at Roll Call. 